Welcome to the New York State Bar Association's Miranda Warnings. For all things legal and some that aren't, I'm Dave Miranda, past president of the New York State Bar Association and partner at the intellectual property law firm of Hessel and Rothenberg, Farley and Massidi. We're here with Ken Screven. Ken is an institution here in the Capital Region in the area of news reporting. Ken was the first African-American male reporter in the Capital Region and also the first African-American newscaster, news anchor in the Capital Region. He served for over 30 years at uh, CBS News Channel 6. So Ken Screven, thank you very much for being here on Miranda Warnings. My pleasure to be here, David. Thank you. Ken also has one of the most distinctive voices, I think, in the Capital Region. Oh, we're, very nice. we're, we're, we're very pleased to have his melodious tones <laughs> very nice here uh, at the New York State uh, Bar Center. Ken, tell us a little bit about what it was like to get started in the 70s uh, as, uh, as a reporter here in the Capital Region. Well, I tell the story, and I touched on it earlier. Um, when I was, I was doing radio news in Middletown, New York, I just come out of college. I went to St. John's University in Queens, and I'm working at a radio station, very small, and I hear a rumor there's a station in Albany looking for a black man with a deep voice. And I said, well, that sounds like me. So I put in an application and sent a tape, audio tape of my work, and they contacted me, and I came up. I was auditioned, and I got the job. So I came here really not knowing anyone, anything about Albany. I'm one of those kids who grew up in New York who thought anything about Yonkers was white, or White Plains was Canada. So I didn't really have any sense of upstate New York per se, certainly not Albany uh, this far upstate. Anyway, so I got a job at WRW Radio, very distinguished radio station, very happy to work there. And um, again, I, I'm working, I'm a middle class kid. I went to private school and Catholic university. I was not really prepared for the um, animus, and you might call it, uh, toward someone like me doing this job. I didn't realize... Um, what I was going to encounter. So I'm covering the Capitol. I'm doing uh, news conferences, the governor, legislators. And uh, one day I had to do an interview with a senator. And at this time, this is, are you with the radio station? I'm or at the radio still station. With the radio station. I'm on the radio. I was making a name for myself on the radio. I was doing a newscast, drive time. I'm covering the Capitol. And I... I go to the senator's office for a one-on-one -on -one interview. This is my first year. And um, I walk in and I said, hi, I'm Ken Scriven from WRW. I'm here to interview the senator. And the woman at the desk said to me, you're Ken Scriven, you don't sound black on the radio. And I, I was taken aback and that statement was said to me over and over again in the ensuing time frame, a year or two years. And, so I, you know, it was really something that people were expecting something different from a black person. So, and I'm coming on a, from a different vantage point. And so I segue, I got a job offer at WGY, which is a much bigger station than WRW and WGY and WRGB are joined GE Broadcasting and they hired me uh, because I had been working pretty well in, in the marketplace and I was making a name for myself. And I'm 
with the understanding that I'm going to be segued into television skills. That was your goal, to get yes. into television? Yeah, it, it, it became my goal. I was really happy with radio, but then the prospect of becoming a television reporter uh, was enticing. And also working in the capital of the state um, was pretty interesting, you know, covering the governor, covering the legislature, and also other events would come into Albany, uh, political uh, beings. Um, so I thought this was an opportunity. So I'm working um, there, and I'm new, and I'm at a party in Colony, and this is an anecdote, but I'm the only black person there, and a woman comes out to me who happened to be the daughter of a well-known real estate magnate, and she says, you're Ken Scriven? I said, yes, uh, hi. She says, well, where are you from? And I said, I'm from New York City, and she said, really, when did you have your speech therapy? And I said, I never had speech therapy. She said, I don't believe you. You're black and you sound the way you do. You had to have had diction lessons. So, you know, I was taken aback again. But it also, those kind of incidences told me where I am and who I'm dealing with. But I did have quite a bit of pushback from people who would see me in a position of authority I, as a reporter on television, but I also uh, thought, well, you know, if you're going to have these people pushing back at me, what? Well, how do I react to that? And my feeling was, I'm going to be on a certain position here. If you have problems with me, you have to come up to my level. I'm not going to go down to your level. Right. And and you know, not having known you before, but having seen your reporting, you always exuded a great deal of of confidence. Uh, which I think came from being prepared. Uh, you were always um, presented uh, the news in a way that showed that you knew the whole story, and you presented it in a way that uh, was really very difficult to to argue with. Uh, and you're also so, you know you have a you have a presence. Uh, and uh, I think that also, you use that, I think, to your oh, advantage. I, absolutely. Uh, to absolutely. your advantage in interviewing and, and in, in reporting. Did. Absolutely, David. I'm aware of that. I, you know, I was aware of that. But also, I, you know, I come from a very strong family uh, who told me that you can and you will and you, you will. And it wasn't a matter of, oh, you know, I'm going to succumb. I'm going to retreat. So I was always pushing forward, and yes, and I had a lot of, you know, challenges. But I, I think, uh, I tried to prevail, and over the years, I think I did. I think you did too. And and uh, you know, although uh, I'm certain there are other stories of uh, negative comments, uh, I'm 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 relatively sure that you had many supporters that saw, saw your talents. Uh, I know that when you were at uh, News Channel 6, uh, Liz Bishop called you the conscience of the newsroom, which is a great compliment, but also uh, a weighty responsibility uh, to be the conscience of a newsroom. And it's so interesting, you know, David, that when, she, when I retired, that was something that was said. And I wasn't, you know, throughout my time there, 34 years, I did try to inject in the conversation of the newsroom, editorial-wise, and just in dealing with other people, 
this is the way we should be looking at the world, especially um, when it comes to people of color. When I started in the business, there was a lot of negativity toward even just interviewing a black person. Um, and they weren't doing it. You know, on a man on the street in interviews, they were just eliminating black people. And I said, no, we have to do that. You can't, you can't just act like we're not there. <laughs> and so I began to do it myself. If I, were, if I wasn't going to do it, who's going to do it? And by doing it that way, it kind of had a uh, domino effect, I think. But I also was very strong in terms of, yes, this is how we should look at things. You can't look at it that way anymore. And, um, you know, so, you know, when I was, when Liz Bishop said that, it was very touching to me because it, there were many, many stories of incidences where I would inject my belief or my philosophy or my life experience into the conversation of the newsroom when decisions were being made. And for 10 years, I tried to get um, a story done involving my last name, Screven, because there's a place in Georgia called Screven County. And I, uh, I knew that existed. And I said, you know, people are always asking me out in the marketplace in the area, and I traveled everywhere, uh, where did that come from? Your name is so unusual. And so I took three or four news directors to try to tell them, allow them, allow them to let me go and investigate this. So finally, in 1996, um, a news director said, okay, we're going to give you a week. I'm going to give you a crew. I'm going to give you a Winnebago. And you can go and explore Screven County. And I called it the mystery of Screven County. And I, this was before Ancestry.com. This is before the Internet, really. And I did all of the preparation, as you, you said that before. I was very, very prepared. I prepared everything over the telephone and email before we even got on the road. And um, I spent a week in New York and Maryland and South Carolina and Georgia interviewing all these people trying to build a story. And when I came home, I, they gave me a lot of time. They gave me six minutes each night on the news. And... I explored my family history and my name and my father's name. And that story, the documentary one, best documentary from New York State Associated Press Broadcasters. And uh, that today would never be allowed to be done. Well, let's talk about that a little bit because the mystery of Screven County, uh, uh, Georgia, as you said, you were given the opportunity to, to go down, spend a week investigating a story. You did three uh, separate six-minute episodes on the news. You did. You were awarded a doc, uh, an award from the New York yeah. State Association of Broadcasters in 1996, and it's really one of the one of the um, you know the pinnacle of 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 some of the work that you've done, and you know and then bring us to today, which is now 20. That was 96, so 20 20 plus years later, um, we're not seeing that kind of reporting. Uh, on a regular basis. We're seeing headlines. We're seeing uh, news bits. We're not able to get down into what the issues are and to do a little, do a little digging and get into the facts. We're just, it's all headlines and salaciousness and negativity. Um, what are you seeing? What, what does a reporter 
need to do um, to, to get us out of this spiral that we're going into with, uh, with the news? Well, that is a very difficult question because um, what I did in terms of staying at a station for as long as I did, I was able to develop um, you know, a, a name for myself where I had credentials and gravitas, I would say, within the marketplace so that when I would do a story, and I'm told, people would say, oh, it's Ken doing that story. I want to go listen to that story, which was a major compliment to me. But I don't think that the reporters today, they're very nomadic, um, and that is pretty, pretty much what goes on. They, they'll stay a year or two, and they're off to another marketplace. They don't see um, a station as someplace they can build a name and a career. They don't. And the management doesn't see them as valid to invest in. They don't pay them anything anymore. They get kids right out of school, and God bless them, you know, they need to get a job. But in my, uh, in my instances, I remember, you know, I, um, they would hire these kids while I was there, and they could barely write. Writing, for me, was a major, major element of my work being able to to compose and create and craft visually as well as on the page. And I definitely don't think that they are teaching that anymore anymore. The way the way people get the news now is much different than it was 20 years ago. Yeah. So 20 years ago when you were doing this documentary, for the most part, people are getting their main news from watching the half hour local news show in the evening. Uh, on TV. Now, people are getting news from all sorts of, of, of uh, ways, whether it be on the internet, uh, whether it be on uh, social media. And when you were reporting, your credibility and the credibility of who you were reporting for uh, was important. Yes. Today, there is so much noise with various news organizations that have varying degrees of credibility. There is noise out there and clutter that makes it very difficult for individuals that are listening to cut through that. And so the things that rise to the top are the things that are the most salacious, the most attention-grabbing. And it seems like the real heavy, serious reporting is just getting buried under this noise? I, I think it has a lot to do with also the management. You know, they don't, they don't really want to uh, delve into anything that's beyond the headline. They, it's, you know, when I would um, do a story, I, I would, when I said craft and create, I was not kidding. I, I took time, I would evolve a story, and I would, I would go past the minute 10 second box that they would uh, oftentimes um, give us. And I would tell the producers, this is not going to be a minute 10. This is going to be longer, and and I hope you can accommodate that. And oftentimes they would, you know, rail, you know, oh, no, can we? So one day I remember we had hired a 25-year-old producer who was a guy that is the um, tra- traffic cop, basically, for a newscast who, scripts how many people 
how much time you have, et cetera, et cetera. So I came to him with a story that was pretty well, pretty, pretty good story, and it was two minutes. And he said, what did you put in this story that requires it to be two minutes? And I said to him in a major snit, I said, the same stuff I've been putting in my story since before you were born. And he looked at me and he said, does it have to be that way? I said, apparently, you know. I mean, I said, have I ever produced anything for you that you didn't feel was full, complete, and impactful? He says, no. I said, well, then, let's go. So I wasn't being arrogant, but they were bringing these kids in who didn't have a sense of what I was doing or anybody like me was doing. But it seems today full, complete, and impactful are not qualities that (laughs) are being propounded on the news. No, and I I try to watch. I try to watch, but I don't see it. I don't see it anymore, and um, it's a disappointment to me as a journalist uh, of of a certain age. Um, it's, It's sad, and I... I don't know what the solution is other than, and it's getting worse because now we have the station that I worked at for so long is now being run by a corporation of the worst kind, in my opinion. And um, I, I would never be able to do my work there now with this company in place. I don't think they would ever allow me. Because I did a lot of community stories. I did stories about black people, white people, gay people, um, human story. Well, I know your trademark, Ken, was that there would be a larger story, but you would then uh, bring out the human drama side of it. I tried uh, to do that, that To yes. try to show how it relates to the common person. Yeah, yes. And that's, again, not something that we're seeing a lot of. If that was something that I, I really um, worked on and, and tried to, to produce... Um, and I often would, if I, I would get to a story, for instance, um, there'd be other reporters there, and I'd show up maybe 10 minutes later, and I'd say to them, Did you, has anybody talked to the mother, the father? No, we were waiting for you. They literally said that to me, and I, you know, I said, okay, and then I said, okay, then I would go in and I would pull the person out, and they would often speak to me. And these other reporters would engage, but then I would do it a little differently than they would. Right, because they trusted you and they respected you, and you were a conduit for the truth. Uh, what do you see? How do you feel now when uh, you know you've obviously you spent your career as a reporter? Uh, how do you feel now when you see the news media and reporting being under attack by our, our, some of our leaders? Oh, it's, it's monstrous. It's monstrous. And I, I'm one of those people, since I have retired, I've become relatively busy on social media. I don't, I didn't retreat at all. And, um, I started writing a blog for the Times Union website, and I also have a very strong presence on Facebook where I actually talk about these things, about what's going on. And when I first began writing my blog, um, 
and I said, I'm going to be talking about things that you're not accustomed to hearing Ken Scriven talk about. I'm going to be talking as a black man in America and uh, who has seen things from my vantage point. So obviously when you're a reporter, you've got to give, or you try to give, a balanced perspective. Absolutely. Now you're a private citizen. You're entitled to liberate yourself exactly. and, and express your and views. And I, I told people, that I said this is going to be the situation. And is your blog still, it's on the Times Union? Yes, it's, I, it's not working right now. I just am taking a break, but I'm going to resuscitate it soon. Well, I did it for about five years. And when I began, when I started talking about black, my black experience, and I started talking about certain political perspectives and people in the, in the marketplace, I literally got people writing to me saying, commentary, we thought you were educated. We are disappointed in you. And other very kind of uh, incendiary comments because they were not, they didn't want me to be a black person. They just wanted me to be a, a eunuch, basically, and don't don't bring in the black stuff. And I am, you know, I, I have a very strong perspective about being a black person in America, especially now. So no, I um, the media being taken to task by politicians and being treated like this is it's it's too it's almost fascist, like a fascist country. Uh, people think I uh, that's a too strong a phrase, but I, I really think it's leaning in that direction. You can't say, you can't do. Uh, the media sh is going to be the, the media enlightens the country, enlightens the world. We have to be able to be able to say this is what's going on. And, uh, you know, I... I'm very disappointed in the way the, the, the media is being portrayed now. Well, let me ask you this, Ken. You know, we, uh, if we're going to do anything about our governmental leaders, we have to take care of that at the, at the polls. Uh, but as a, as a consumer of news, what, uh, what, can, what can a consumer of news do better to be more informed, to be fairly informed, uh, and to make sure that they understand the issues. What kind of, where, where do you get your news from? Well, I, I read the New York Times. Is that fake news, New York Times? <laughs> <laughs> I watch certain uh, uh, cable stations uh, that I believe are more factual than others and um, without giving any plugs to a particular network. But there are some that are just lies and and I think they play toward a more uneducated, bigoted uh, audience. There's no other way to put it. And, um, and there's a lot of that out there right now. And is, it, is, it, is it that the, the, in, the individuals that are, that are absorbing these lies, which oftentimes they are, um, are being fooled? Or is it that I think a common instinct amongst people is that they're going to gravitate towards hearing what they want to hear. And so if there's something out there that validates their predisposition, whether it's good or bad, negative or positive, and they have something that validates that, they're going to gravitate towards that because it is supportive of what their predisposition is. Or is it that some people are just being fooled? I think the, the common denominator is that they're... Uh, 
there was an absence of intellect. There was an absence of uh, heart. There's an absence of uh, humanity, and when you couple all of that together, you know, it produces oftentimes a very prejudiced, a bigoted perspective, and they look for other people who are like them. Can blame? Can some blame be placed on our news media organizations? by gravitating towards the salacious, by not doing the things that you did 20 years ago where you spend the time to figure out what the real facts are, and that shouldn't we have in our media now uh, something greater than just talking about the most uh, salacious issue of the day and not getting down deep into the real issues that we have in this country? Well, you know, I think that the, the last presidential election was uh, unfortunate on so many levels because I think that uh, untruths were not revealed as untruths and uh, they were, it was a false equivalency. But isn't that, isn't that the media? When you have a media saying, well, we want to show both sides and one side is clearly yeah, false yeah. and one side is, let's say, uh, slightly tainted but not clearly false. Uh, isn't that a problem where you have that, you, you, tr- you have that false equivalency where you're saying something is completely wrong and we're comparing it to something that could be critiqued? Well, I mean, initially, the false, the lies were not presented as such, they were presented as equivalent to what the truth was, and I think that was where the media fell short by um, not... Well, you mentioned the campaign. You mentioned the presidential campaign. We had a, a, a long-standing presidential primary, Republican and Democrat, and during that primary, there was not a lot of issues being discussed. Oh, no, that was a, that was a joke. And, you know, if the media we're talking about the issues, we might be in a different uh, situation today. But instead, they talked about the news of the day, and the news of the day was always the most, the grandest, most outrageous claim. And so, in many respects, our news media was distracted. They didn't keep their eye on what was important. And don't, doesn't our news media have an obligation to, to keep an eye and focus on What's important? Not necessarily what's going to be the most popular. Popular. I mean, I feel like you know, you're, if you leave things up to your kids, they're going to eat candy all day. But you need to feed them some meat and vegetables, uh, and then you can have a little bit piece of candy at the end. You know what happens, and and I, I, I witness this happen a lot. Uh, it started out in a small nugget, and then it just kind of snowballed. And when a, when one station is focused on doing as you say, focusing on the truth and, the, and, the, and, and stories that are beneficial to the marketplace. But the other station over here is doing something that's more salacious. And then they're getting attention for doing that salaciousness. Then the first station feels, oh God, I, I better do that because if I don't do that, then they're going to do it and they're going to take our audience because they're audience wants to see the salaciousness um and that i think is really what happened with that campaign where people were focusing on these crazy comments that were being made these crazy statements and eliminating um 
any focus on what they really were not saying and were not doing, but that was getting all the attention, and they, all the other stations capitulated. And it was unfortunate on a major scale. So is it because, Ken, that the, the stations that were trying to focus on the issues, they were just, it wasn't profitable. The issues aren't profitable. The, the, the grand story of the day is what sells. That's, that's what happened, I believe. You know, they, they just caved in. And, um, you know, I, I saw it happening in a small ways when I was in the, the, you know, the middle of my career. And you would see it happening. I, and for instance. Well, of course. I mean, of course, you know, if you, if you, if you don't have the news channel and you don't have viewers, you're not going to be able to have the resources to go do the 18-minute right. documentary. Right. So sometimes the, 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 the ends justify the means to get there. But when all we have is, is the, the high-level right. uh, uh, headlines and none of the substance, then what's, what's the point? Well, and, and people were being brought into the management who only saw things as a brand. I don't know if you may have heard that concept, news departments, what is our brand? And I heard when I began to, toward the end of my career, I started hearing that from a manager who was not qualified to be the news director, talking about what is our brand, and that story is not part of our brand. I would bring a story to them that was clearly a functioning story and valid, and they said, it's not part of our brand. Well, what are you talking about? Well, we know brand needs to focus on this mother over here or this mother over here. And that even to the point of, they were, I remember a news director say, well, does the person you're interviewing that look more like me or like you? They would literally say that, you know, um, meaning is it a white person or a black person? If it was a black person, sometimes they would say, no, I don't want to do that. And, you know, then I would become incensed. But that happens, and I think it, that kind of thinking permeated deeply into the marketplace and into the system. And we're seeing we're seeing now that it's you know that brand has gone beyond the individual, and the brand is now what the political perspective right. is. Uh, it's That's not, right. It's not. Well, I'm trying to appeal to a particular, uh, you know class of person right. but now it's I'm trying to appeal to a particular viewpoint political right. viewpoint so if there's any news that doesn't fall within our political viewpoint brand we don't talk exactly. about it or we spin it the spin unbelievable so you know many people say to me Ken you know uh, don't you miss being on the air and I said well no I'm, I did. I think 34 years was long enough. And they said, "What well, don't you miss it?" I said, "No, I don't." And I think about it. You know, I don't know. I don't think I would enjoy. I couldn't do today the kind of work that I was doing, and uh, it wouldn't be. I don't think I would be allowed to. And I would come in to. Uh, they would give me an opportunity to build stories and build. This, what do you? What would you like to do today, Ken? What story do you? I don't think that would ever happen today. You know, with. Uh, Certainly not a new reporter, or not even a you know a newcomer, but I I was very fortunate, and I I talked to some people who were from my era. We called it the golden time of television news in the Capital District. The people that I came up with, and who a few of them are still on the air, and we were very fortunate because we were in a management 
time where they actually acknowledge that you can do these kinds of things. Well, Ken, I want to thank you for two things. First, I want to thank you for the, your, the body of work that you've done oh, for you. the Capital Region. Uh, and secondly, I'd like to thank you for being sharing your story with us on the Miranda warnings. It's been fascinating thank you. Thank and, you. and enlightening. Thank you. We have a feature here on the Miranda warnings where we ask you to share with us a music, uh, music book or movie performance that uh, has some meaning to you that you can share with us. Well, I happen to be a fan of James Baldwin. And in fact, I'm reading a, a, one of his, a biography of him, of his life right now by David Leming. Leming. And uh, but one of the books that he wrote that I have read twice now was called Another Country. It was written in 1962. And it's about uh, some individuals living in New York City at a time when I was a little boy, 1959, 1960. And uh, he wrote this story, this novel, and I got to see my city that I grew up in from as a from a different vantage point because I was just a little kid when this was written, and the, t the events take place when I was a child. So I got to see my city uh, from an adult vantage point. It's a very difficult. A lot of it's about race. It's about inter inter intermarriage. It's about uh, bisexuality, it's about gay, it's about um, hate, it's about suicide, but all of it is taking place in a New York that was my home as a child, and a lot of it I remember the streets and uh, the atmosphere of the neighborhood, so it, it spoke to me, and James Baldwin is, I believe, a brilliant, brilliant, not a secret, everybody knows, <laughs> but he he also was an intellect, a black intellect, who was not appreciated in this country. And he had to leave America to go to Paris because he was not being appreciated and embraced for being an intellect, a black intelligence man. And so um, that is something that continues in our country today. Barack Obama was vilified by a lot of people in this country. And... Um, Sometimes I feel I get treated badly because I don't kowtow to a certain perspective. So, yeah, Another Country by James Baldwin is uh, a great book. So the name of the book is Another, Another Country, Country by James Baldwin. And, Ken, I'm going to ask if you could humor me just for uh, a moment. I know that uh, because you have such a wonderful voice, many people have little favorite words that you might say. So I'm wondering if we could just close uh, by saying this has been the New York State Bar Association's Miranda Warnings. This has been the New York State Bar Association Miranda Warning. Great. Thank you very much, Ken. I appreciate it very much. It's been great My pleasure. hearing your story. Thank you, David. This has been the New York State Bar Association's Miranda Warnings. For all things legal and some that aren't.